Okay. First of all, let's, since I'm speaking to you from my heart, normally I wouldn't have a text verse, but I have a couple because <clears throat> I want to put everything in context this morning. Um, but if this lacks anything homiletically, you were warned beforehand. Acts chapter 1. Oh, here we go. And Pentecostal church coming out of Acts, the first and second chapters. Again. Yeah. Well, maybe this morning as we go along, you'll find some stuff out that just quite possibly you didn't know before, okay? Let's look at Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 3 and verse 8. That's our text, and that's all the verses this morning. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We've heard that before, haven't we? Let's jump down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now that is a classic Pentecostal verse right there. And I'm going to digress right here and right now before I finish that verse. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to just say something about that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I don't know what it is about us Pentecostals who likes that verse so much, <clears throat> or at least that part of the verse. More, more accurately, it's that part of the verse because we don't like the second part at all. But the first part of that verse, we love that verse, and here's why. I think, at least it's been since I have observed this over the decades that I have been in Pentecost, we like that because we perceive this as it has been taught in that somehow or another the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us and we're all going to become these human torches to make a veiled Fantastic Four reference. And no one cares about that reference at all. Wow. Okay. We all become these human torches where everything we touch, something miraculous occurs. And somehow or another, life evades those who have Acts 1 and 8 Part A applied to their lives, and we like that. But what's so funny is we're such fans of that verse or that portion of that verse, and yet we see so little of it in our own lives, and yet we keep on banging the drum for it. Thank you. We like that because we like the power reference. And I don't know if we like the power reference because so often we feel so powerless in our lives. I don't know. But we like reading what happened in the Gospels and what happens throughout the book of Acts, these miraculous things, and we think that's us, and yet it so rarely manifests in our lives, and we're still waving the flag for it. That is really strange. You've heard of the definition of insanity.
keep doing the exact same thing over and over and over and over and expecting a different result. And yet here we are saying to ourselves, one of these days we're going to receive this power when the Holy Ghost comes upon us. But this is the part of the verse we don't like. And you will be my witnesses. Well, if we are witnesses, that requires me to actually engage people in something that places a demand on me. As opposed to just being lit on fire by God and running around like... um, Some Pentecostal crazy person doing really cool stuff that makes me look really, really good. Instead, we have to be witnesses unto him. And witnesses, being witnesses, is absolutely no fun whatsoever. Because that places a demand. That places a load on me. Wow. How come you guys aren't up in the aisles shouting and dancing? I'm just curious. This is a Pentecostal church. Everybody here should be doing one of these. Was that not victorious for y'all, that reading of that scripture? Was that not a blessing? Didn't I just bless you? No? Man, I don't have to work on that. I'm going to have to do this in front of the mirror next week. That way I can bless y'all. I'll figure out what it looks like. Can I be honest with you? When we read Acts... 1-8-A, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and we expect something to happen to us as though we have no say in the matter, and we run about with this fiery power that has been preached so repetitively, and yet We've done nothing about receiving it. We've done nothing about engaging it. And we certainly have done very little, if nothing, about um, fulfilling part B of Acts 1 and 8. Um, um, you, do you know what that is? That's religion. That's religion. We're expecting something. For absolutely nothing. God's just, I, I come to a Pentecostal church and God's just going to pour some lighter fluid on me and light me up. I am here, therefore I am on fire. In reality, a lot of our Pentecostal charismatic spirit-filled churches are actually made out of asbestos believers. I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning. I'm just going to be honest. I told you I was going to be preaching to you from my heart. Christianity as a religion is no longer satisfying to me. Christianity as a religion does very... No, that's a lie. It does nothing for me. On the other hand, Christianity as the pursuit of an intensely interactive life lived with the Holy Spirit of God is my goal. 
and that the Bible is any indicator whatsoever as to what can be achieved and to, as to what can be experienced as a result of that pursuit, then that would be an intensely satisfied life lived. You know what I want in my life? And I'm going to be frank with you. God, God is so gracious, so merciful, and so long-suffering that He takes the stuff that we are raised in, and I'm going back in my memories way, way back, and He uses uh, those things to get us to a place of dissatisfaction. Happy is the child of God who is dissatisfied with where they are. Happy is the child of God who longs for something more. I want, what I want in my life as your pastor is a life lived in the kingdom of God. A life lived in reckless abandon to to the ways and to the will of God. A life dedicated to eradicating my ways and my will. Dying to the self while coming to life in every single corner of my living to biblical to the biblical pattern of Christianity. That's what I want. I want the kingdom of God. I want to live that kingdom. I want it at full capacity and being mindful that the kingdom of God is not the church and that the kingdom of God is not heaven, but that the kingdom of God is God's absolute rule revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. He said, I have to leave But don't worry about it because I'm going to send you another comforter. And in the process of sending you another comforter, you're going to do what I did and you're going to do even greater things than I do. So if the kingdom of God is God's God's absolute authority and rule over uh, uh, everything lived out in the life of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, then that leaves us with the Holy Spirit, which means the kingdom of God then is now God's absolute rule as revealed in the lives of you and me. That was a really good place to amen. But the funny thing about amens is amens are the response of a stirred intellect. My question is, how many of us are living lives that are actually God's absolute rule revealed in the life of, fill in your name here. I know what you're thinking. I don't even go to the lake. How am I going to walk on water? I got one person laughing with that. You people are asleep. Can I tell you what God's absolute rule revealed 
in your life looks like? We were talking about this not terribly long ago. It's when you may look like you, but you live like him. Now, listen, we talked, my wife and I were talking, and we were were in this Bible study thing with the staff here as well, and we use the word transparency. Whenever someone says to you, I'm just trying to be transparent, basically what they're trying to tell you is this, I'm just being honest with you. However, in a kingdom setting, transparency has nothing to do with honesty. It has to do with invisibility. Something that's transparent can be seen through to see whatever is either on the inside of it or on the other side of it. And in the kingdom, transparency means you don't see me, you see him. That's kingdom living. The question here before the body today is, if, God, if the kingdom of God is God's absolute reveal, uh, rule revealed in the life of fill in the blank here with your name, my question is this, have you eliminated enough of yourself where people don't see you now, your speech, your actions, everything, they view Jesus Christ even if they don't know that what they're viewing is Jesus Christ in you? Are you being transparent? And in order to have God's absolute rule lived out in your life, you've got to be transparent. That is not easy. That is a process. (laughs) Wow, have I strayed from the message today. After Jesus spent three and a half years modeling the kingdom of God, God's absolute rule revealed in his life, he spent 40 days talking about, instructing, and demonstrating the kingdom of God to the disciples and his followers. So after three and a half years of living out the kingdom of God before Israel, he then, post-resurrection, lived 40 days covering the high points. He then told the disciples to wait for him in Jerusalem for the promise that would empower them to function in the kingdom of God, just like he did. And ten days later, they were all baptized in the Holy Ghost. Subsequently, they, in the words of the book of Acts, turned the world upside down. Interesting side note. As shown in both Jesus' life after his baptism and his temptation, and as shown in the disciples' lives after the day of Pentecost, operating in the kingdom of God is directly linked to one thing and one thing alone. For you and I to function in the kingdom of God as Jesus did in the Gospels and as the disciples slash apostles did later, 
It, those lives are linked to one thing in specific. What is that one thing? It is linked to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There is a causality here. The baptism of the Holy Ghost opens the door to the kingdom of God. God's absolute rule in your life. The baptism of the Holy Ghost opens the door to the kingdom of God. That is not, hear me loud and clear, a doctrinal position that I extracted from a Pentecostal Church of God doctrine book. That is not a position or bylaw handed down by the East Texas District or the general offices in the Metroplex. That is not. That is proof through the Scriptures. Please know that. You know what? Okay, never mind. We can build churches that cater to people's need for religion. Now, when I say we, I'm not only just talking about the church at large. I'm talking about Pentecostals. You know, those of us who are weird. We, even Pentecostals, can build churches that cater to people's need for religion. We can preach sermons and say things that cater to that need without breaching the things that might upset the, the proverbial religious apple cart. We can preach that stuff all day long. We can teach it all day long. All good stuff. But it isn't the stuff that the kingdom of God is made of. We can do all the things that give the appearance that we are in fact very religious. But until we submit ourselves to God's absolute rule and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, our religion is nothing more than like a loveless vessel sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Question. Now this, I would not ask this question outside of the Pentecostal, spirit-filled, charismatic circles. I would not ask this question because it wouldn't even be relevant. But here's the question. Why are we afraid of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and what can and will be done through us if we actually get that? Now, I know that if people come to this church or any other Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, Charismatic church and they come from a different worship tradition, that's fine. They'll come along in time. But what is it about Pentecostals that are afraid of the baptism of the Holy Ghost? What is it about us that is so backward concerning Him? It's not an it. It's not an experience. It's not tongues. It's a Him. 
as real as God the Father, Jehovah, and Jesus Christ the Son is? It's a Him. And your Jesus said, when I leave, I will send you another comforter. Another meaning like me. You know me, and because you know me, you know the Father. When I leave, another one like us is coming. Why are we so constipated about the Holy Spirit of God? I don't understand. It blows my mind. People come to Spirit-filled churches all the time. And you know why? Well, number one, some of them like spirit-filled churches because it's what they know. It's what they've experienced. It's how they function. It's what they operate in. But people come into spirit-filled churches all the time. They enjoy the worship. They enjoy the music. They enjoy the preaching. But they don't want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And they, they don't want the subsequent power in order to fulfill God's express purpose for the church at large, but for them in particular. What is it about asbestos Pentecostals that is so rampant? It's like we like the atmosphere. We like what it feels like to be embraced by the Holy Ghost, but we have a fire suppression system in our spirits. I like it, but I like it over there. And if you come on up over here, I have a button for that. You know, everybody, there actually is an app for that. I'm sorry, I got just a minute. I got to pull up my Quench the Spirit app here. Hold on a minute. I'll be right with you. People want to be active participants in their spirit-filled church. They want to volunteer. They want to be helpful. They want to participate in all the facets of their spirit-filled church that interest them or and or apply to them. They just don't want to be spirit-filled, firebrands, spirit-led for Jesus Christ. Why is that? Is it because people don't want to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Is that what it is? I don't want to speak in tongues. Well, let me just throw this out there. Because remember, going back to Acts 1 and 8a, you will receive power, that power verse stuff that we like so much in Pentecostal, charismatic, Spirit-filled circles. If, if a person is going to live that kind of a supernatural empowered life they'd better be equipped with a language that enables them to communicate with the source of that life don't you think maybe it's not that uh, people don't want to speak in tongues I think a worse option than that something that's even worse is this completely misses the point of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, by the way. 
is that some people, they want to speak in other tongues. But, but aside from that, aside from being able to stand up in the church and go, Shundai, hmm, oh yes. They want no further demands placed on their lives. They just want to speak in tongues because it's Pentecostal. Oh, I'm a part, I'm a part, I can speak in tongues. Well, how, how good of a witness are you? Oh, I'm... Da, 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 da. Is it because the days of the Pentecostal outpouring, the Spirit of God outpouring, is it that those days are the good old days? But they're in the past. And those days, we can remember those days fondly, but only from a perspective of the rearview mirror. Because nowadays, we're more civilized than that. We've evolved. We're more refined now. After all, we're spirit-filled or we're charismatic, not Pentecostal. Pentecostal is so 20th century. What is it? Why is it that Pentecostals are so afraid of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it because we bought into all the propaganda about the baptism of the Holy Spirit not being for today? That it was, a, that it was done away with when the last of the apostles died? Those things that other denominations and other fellowships and other worship traditions teach... Is it that we've bought into that? What did Jesus mean then if that in fact is the truth that the Spirit of God was done away with and He went back home to heaven? When the last of the apostles died, was He when He said, I will send you another comforter? Was that only... Because they needed comforting and we don't? Do you realize that God has always been with man in one way, shape, or another? And that if Jesus lied or told only a partial truth when He said, I must go so that I can send another comfort, do you realize then God is no longer with man? Have we bought into that in our subconscious and said, well, maybe he's just not for today and they're right. Besides, they have a lot bigger churches than we do. I think we failed to realize something. I think we failed to realize that Jesus' ministry influence You know, all that stuff we read about in the Gospels that Jesus did as he traveled around preaching and touching lives. I think we've failed to realize that Jesus' ministry influence, listen carefully to my words, began only after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Okay, I don't think any of you know that to be a fact. 
How many of you read your Bible? Okay, how many of you read your Bible sober? I mean, you're not drunk out of your mind. How many of you read your Bible without smoking a crack pipe? How many of you read your Bible without snorting something that makes you utterly and perfectly delusional while reading it, therefore gleaning nothing from it? How many of you read your Bible? Okay, do you realize that Jesus' ministry influence on the world started only after he was baptized in the Holy Ghost? I think we failed at realizing that. And that that fact is of utmost importance. If it was essential for him to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, do you not think that it is essential for us as well? And I don't mean those of us sitting here at CWC. I mean essential for those who call themselves believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the big deception. In light of what I just said, and guys, I've been around a while. Some of you who have been around a while, you're going to go, yep. Some of you who haven't are going to go, ooh, really? And some of you who read your Bible with a crack pipe next to you, you're going to go, huh? Here's the big deception. The baptism of the Holy Ghost and the kingdom of God are inseparable. They're inextricably linked. People, believers, including Pentecostals, with no little help from the enemy of our souls, have made the baptism of the Holy Ghost about tongues and about doctrinal beliefs that do little beyond fueling denominational talking points. We've done it. We're at fault. Let's buy into it. Let's accept it and then get over it. We've made it about tongues and doctrines. My doctrine's better than your doctrine. When if the truth be told, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the gateway to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. How many of you want to live like Jesus? Okay, the rest of you lost pagan, heathen people. I need you at altars now. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're the ones that like to come here but don't want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're the ones who don't want to serve God throughout the kingdom of God. You want to go to church. You want to experience the worship. You want to experience the word. You don't want to do anything for God. And it's time to do something for God. God's absolute rule, the kingdom of God. His absolute rule revealed in the life of Jesus Christ and now revealed in the life of fill in your name was only revealed in the life of Jesus after he was baptized in the river Jordan by his cousin and then a dove came down and lit upon him. And a voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How many of you want to have God say, 
Yes, that's my beloved son or daughter, and in that person I'm well pleased. Well, then let's do what he did. The kingdom of God only came among men. Because you remember, once he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, once he was driven into the desert, once he came back 40 days later, what was it he said? The kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and be baptized. That's what he said. And he didn't say that until after the Spirit of God lit upon him. How do we think that we're going to reach the lost? How do we think that we're going to do what God has commissioned the church to do. How do you think we're going to reach the lost, fulfilling the Great Commission, and on a very intimately personal basis, very intimate personal point, how are we ever going to be fulfill the emergency room prophecy of this church, which Rella brought up to me last weekend during the altar call? How are we going to do that without the Holy Ghost? How are we ever going to accomplish anything? After all, Jesus began his earthly ministry complete with miracles, signs, wonders, salvations, healings, deliverances, and yes, even raising people from the dead, not to mention speaking the truth in love, but in boldness and in power, which sounds a lot like Acts chapter 1 and 8. Only after, he only did any of those things, only after he emerged from his 40 days in the desert which was only after his Jordan River encounter with the Holy Ghost. His 40 days in the desert are described as temptation in a wasteland. Right? That sounded like a fun date, didn't it? 40 days out there in the desert. And I like the way John Bevere puts it. We only hear about the last three temptations. That's all we get. But 40 days Driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of Almighty God. How many of you have ever been driven into a wilderness by the Spirit of Almighty God? If you can't say yes, you will be. Whereas the disciples' 40 days post-resurrection, Jesus' 40 days in the desert was, was temptation in the wasteland. The, 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 the disciples' 40 days post-resurrection is described as having been spent in the presence of the Lord. Which 40 days do we want? Which 40 days do we want? His post-resurrection 40 days are described as making upwards of 11 plus appearances, separate appearances to individuals and groups over 40 days, providing many convincing proofs that what he preached was reality and that victory was theirs as a result. Jesus Christ was baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Ghost, driven into a desert and spent 40 days on the other end of his life on this earth. He resurrected and spent another 40 days. But this time he wasn't in a desert. This time, this time while they were just 50 days away from the bat, from the other comforter descending, what does he do? He spends 40 of the 50 days teaching and interacting with them, giving them many convincing proofs. No desert, nothing but presence of God. That's God's way of providing for people. God says, I'll take the desert. I'm going to give you my presence. 40 days on either end of that life. 
He took 40 days in the desert and waged a war of temptation and overcoming that won him the right to usher in the kingdom of God. And after he operated in the kingdom of God for three and a half years, he died and he rose again. He walked his followers through 40 days, not of desert, but of convincing proofs that galvanized the birth of the church and guaranteed the ongoing presence of the kingdom of God after he had descended, he had ascended to the, king, to the right hand of Father. Maybe we need our own 40 days. Michael? I don't need a 40-day experience. I have 40 minutes. Oh, no, I don't. It's 39 now. I want to read this to you. Listen to this. You may have heard of this guy. I don't know. He pastors the fastest-growing church In America. His name is Robert Morris. Here is our problem. Here is our problem. Quote, We believe that we're humans having a spiritual experience. But in truth, we are spirits having a human experience. The Bible is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. And the natural man, which means the man who's not born again, can't even understand this book. You want to know the lie the church has bought? We think we're people that have spirits. When in reality, we're spirits that are wrapped up in people. And we've accepted, we've accepted the fact that this is what we do. This is where we live. This is how we function. When in reality, we fun- we're supposed to function in the kingdom of God. And our flesh is supposed to follow suit. Instead, we've got our Jesus on a leash following our humanness around. And Jesus is being fit. And this is, this is the thing. Jesus is being shoved into our humanness. And we're trying to use a shoehorn. To shove God into a box that big. When in reality, we're not humans that have a spirit. We're spirits that are wrapped up in human. We didn't come to life until he breathed. That's the mistake we've made. We've accepted this life. And we try to fit our Jesus into it. Did you catch what I just said? We try to fit our Jesus into it. Instead of accepting the fact that we're spirits. And we need to fit into the the entire theater of God. We need to function in the theater of God. We need to operate in the theater of God. It just so happens that we're walking around in these bodies. What part of us is going to die? The body or the spirit? Anybody now? All together now. The body. We're spirits placed inside of a body. 
not a body that like a coin and a vending machine had a spirit dropped into us. We've made that mistake. And that's how we live. And that's our function now. And we've bought into that lie. What did Jesus and his followers talk about for 40 days? 40 days. A month and a quarter. Besides the appearances, I believe that those 40 days were the New Testament version. And I'm going to get done here in just a few minutes. Don't anybody get too awful uh, uh, upset with me or excited about leaving. Those 40 days are like the New Testament version of the book of Deuteronomy. You said, what? Deuteronomy? Yeah. You remember what Deuteronomy means? Deuteronomy means second law. That means that once they had left Egypt, having had God's law been given to them, once they lived in, once they left Egypt and they went about their life and goofing up the 40 years prior to going into Canaan, what happened? The book of Deuteronomy, the second law. Moses came and repeated what he had already been, what had already been delivered to them before. So Jesus, for three and a half years, lived out the kingdom of God, but those 40 days were the second law. It was Jesus going over what he had already taught them, prepping them for 10 days after he left. The New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus walked through the desert for 40 days so that we wouldn't have to while still getting to receive the promise of the Father, prophesied by Joel. You see, that's the nice thing about this Jesus. He went through the 40 days. We don't have to do that, and yet we still get the promise. When he tells us that he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, do you realize what that means during that 40-day period? The Bible says it right here. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Do you know what that means? How many remembers last week that Jesus was the autobasilia? How many remember that? That he himself was the kingdom itself. That he himself is the kingdom itself. He is the self-kingdom. It means that he was, what he was doing during those 40 days was providing proof that since he was alive, that he was the autobasilia, that he himself is the kingdom itself, that the kingdom of God was in fact alive. And since, hear me, I'm about done, I promise. And since he's alive and he is the kingdom We can rejoice because the kingdom is here for us to live out. The kingdom of God is not going to church. The kingdom of God is not doing uh, a thousand things. The kingdom of God is walking about in the power of the Spirit of Almighty God because we've submitted to God's absolute rule in our lives filled with His Spirit and power And have become transparent before all. And what they see is Him. You have overcome the world. Well, guess what? You know what world you need to overcome? The world that's inside of you. Why do you think that in going into Canaan, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
They were told, you go in there and you don't let anything live. You kill it all. You let me sort it out. Why? Because Canaan is a type of our lives. It's a type of our lives. And when we get born again, how many of you had a whole bunch of stuff going on inside of you when you got saved? Right, the rest of you perfect saints. When are you going to get used to this? When I ask you, respond, lift your hand, do something that makes you look like you're not. Okay, never mind. Thank you, Wanda. When, when you cross over into Jordan, you cross that Jordan and you move into the promise, you've got a lot of stuff to kill. Let me tell you something. The first world you need to conquer is the one inside of you. Because I promise, one of the biggest problems in the church today is all the world that's in it. And that world is being housed by people calling themselves believers who are not under the absolute authority and rule of God, who are not walking about functioning in the kingdom of God, and may I also say are not baptized with the Holy Spirit. Guys, say it, Freddie. Guys, thank you. There's a way of doing this, and there's a way not to. The way of doing this is you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Listen to me. You come and you recognize the fact that there is no other way off this rock save through Jesus Christ. He is the one and only begotten Son of God. And other than His shed blood, there is no remission for sin. And without that blood, you are damned and you are going to a devil's hell. Oh, sorry. That's not popular preaching today. I feel so bad now. And once you do that, once you acknowledge Jesus Christ as the sole source of of salvation in your life, you need to know, this preacher will tell you, there is a Holy Spirit to be baptized in. And you need to go after Him hard. He is the third part of the triune Godhead. He is not a red-headed stepchild. And you are to acknowledge Him and bow before Him as you would the other two of God, the other two head of God. We're not going to get into the whole teaching about be being filled. We'll go there another time. But you get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You search Him out. You find Him. Because I'm telling you right now, if you'll just turn around, He's standing there. He's not peeking around. Hiding from you. Watch this. That's not His game. God the Father... God the Father, creative God, made mankind. God the Son redeemed us back. God the Spirit is getting us home, and He's doing it with class and with style. And then once you're there, man, once you're there, the entire kingdom of God is before you.
the entire kingdom of God is before you. And that's the biblical pattern. It's pretty simple. It's not complex. It's not hard. And that's what the Spirit of God gave me today. Stand with me. We're done.